and he just walks in. He goes, "Well, I'm the dribble for the cure guy. Um, you guys do a fundraising uh, with me." And he sat across from me, and he just barely introduced himself. And he goes, "I've been married 38 years because of what Coach Wooden taught me. I've started three successful businesses because of what Coach Wooden taught me. I've conquered cancer three times because of the strength Coach Wooden gave me." And then he really got me. So I survived the death of my 12-year-old daughter because of the way Coach Wooden loved me. You want to talk about impact. When the ball goes flat, there's only two things that will stay with you for the rest of your life. Who you become and who you impact. She's such a tremendous leader with so much knowledge. She's UCLA head women's basketball coach, Coach Corey Close. Coach, appreciate you uh, taking some time during the middle of the season um, to, out of your schedule to join myself and, and my partner Kyle Decker here on the Underdog Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It's uh, it's a joy to be able to be with you guys. We have a lot of mutual friends I'm learning, and uh, so it's fun to be able to hang out with y'all. Thanks for having me. Yeah, as long as Coach does not yell us like Coach Cronin. Uh, we know, <laughs> so Tim Kite gave our my partner here a hard time about being a Michigan guy. That still Ooh. confuses me. And then Mr. Cronin, uh, you know, he actually gave me a hard time. So I think Coach Close here hopefully will be a little bit nicer to both of us. So. Yeah, I, I'm going to be easy compared to those guys. <laughs> all right, all right. You say that. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> uh, so this is the underdog, and we want to get into, um, you know, our belief is you have two underdog moments. Um, and so we want to kind of – dive into those and the first one we want to dive into is you were you've been coaching for you know 27 years or so um you were 28 season yeah 28th season and you were an assistant coach I believe for I think 17 eight for 18 years um and then 2011 you you got the job at UCLA where you currently are and there were you know articles out there saying you know you're you're rolling the dice and taking a chance on someone who has no head coaching experience. Um, how did that come about? Can you take us back to the opportunity and how it all came to be? Yeah, you know, I still shake my head and go, what were they thinking? <laughs> you, know, you know, but uh, I was just really fortunate. It was one of those things that, um, you know, I almost, too, I was at Florida State at the time, and uh, my boss there at that time, Sue Samrami, she practically had to push me onto the plane. I just – I was like, they're not going to offer me the job. I knew the other people they were interviewing. Uh, I was like, I am the least qualified on paper. Um, you know, I did feel like I was prepared. I felt like I'd worked under great people. I'd had really good responsibility. Um, I'd had good mentorship. Um, but I just, I was like, there's no way UCLA is going to hire me. But the weirdest thing was I was the first of five people they had scheduled to interview. And I went back to the hotel that night and I did not hit the interview out of the park. Let me just tell you that right up front. But I just knew, I sort of said, I think this is going to happen. And I didn't really have, couldn't tell you a reason, but I just felt in my gut that uh, I think this might be what, what my next step is. And, uh, you know, I'm a person of faith and I just sort of was like, I think this might be what God's leading me to. So, um, you know, I didn't really tell anyone that because it was, would have sounded foolish uh, to anyone who was, listening but um you know really fortunate dan guerrero um was really was willing to take a chance and i'm just a big believer in alignment uh you know what they wanted and expectations is what i wanted to be a part of and so there was great alignment there and and then there was just a risk and a faith that dan guerrero had um and i'm really grateful to him for it 
Now, you guys, did you have... <clears throat> no, I was just going to say, touching upon faith, Coach, um, you mentioned that. I listened to one of your interviews. I think it was with John Gordon. You said, faith is the first driver in coaching. And I know that is you know, there's many different drivers, and the reason why, as anyone that listens to you and watch your body of work, can you touch upon you know why faith? I, I mean, there's a lot of obvious reasons, but for you individually and maybe someone listening, how faith is a driver for you? Well, I mean, you can define faith a lot of different ways. I mean, I think faith is in your process. Faith is in uh, believing in the purpose in which you're operating in. For me personally, um, you know, my re- my ultimate source of uh, accountability and encouragement, and um, I don't really like the word optimism, but, you know, hope is maybe a better word, is my relationship with Jesus Christ. And so that is, that is not something that I, um, in my coaching, that I'm – pushing on anyone else. Uh, I'm just, that's what is inside of me. That's the um, driver in terms of, you know, why, why do I do this? What, what governs my integrity choices? Uh, what governs my principles and how I treat people, how I run an organization? Uh, what are the building blocks in which I'm, I'm going with? But, you know, I had the really amazing, fortunate experience to be mentored by John Wooden for 15 years. And he had this sign in his bathroom of all places um, in his little apartment and it said, preach the gospel always. And if necessary, use words. And, uh, and so I think that's what it is for me. My faith is that I, I want to act in such a way that I love people well, that I lead well, that I lead from a place of consistency. And I, and I fall short all the time, but, uh, that's where my relationship with Jesus Christ is really my driver. Yeah. And speaking of coach Wooden, obviously incredible, you know, leader and, and man and, um, in this in the game of basketball, but more importantly in life, he said, don't judge when the ball bounces, but when it goes flat. So talking about not just your 28 years in coaching, but the impact you've had in many lives out just outside of young women that from the age of 18 to 22, but you've obviously impacted a lot of others, including ourselves. So can you touch upon how important in coaching, like to Calvin's point, you leave Florida State, you get to UCLA, but talk about, you know, turning that program, but impacting lives on and off the court in not just, like you said, I think Coach Wynn said 15 years after they leave your program, which obviously you've had a lot of people leave your leadership. How has that impacted you? What are some of those, you know, fun instances when you see a young lady, you know, doing great things out in their community? Well, I think one of our core values is uh, to be have our women leave as lifestyle givers, not lifestyle takers. And I think we all um, get up every day and we have the opportunity to say to look at the world through the lens of what can I get or what can I give. And and so that's one of our three core values. And and so and I think it speaks and was influenced by Coach Wooden's modeling. You know, uh, I'm such a big believer that. Um, you know, that there's only two things. I'll tell you a story. Our, our mental conditioning coach um, at the time, Joshua Medcalf, I think it was in my third year at UCLA, he walked our team out onto the court of Palace Pavilion. It was a little bit dark and sort of moody in there. And he said, um, you know, what are the two things that are going to stay with you for the rest of your life from these four years? And I remember Jordan Canada, who has since won two WNBA championships, but um, in three years, but she said, I want to raise a banner, baby, raise that banner in Polly. And he goes, man, the quest for that level of excellence is awesome. But Jordan banners hanging gyms. And then Kelly Hayes, I remember on our team said, Hey, give me that ring. I want that natty. And he said, man, let's, 
let's do everything with a level of attention to detail and a willingness to master our craft so that maybe it might lead to a ring. But Kelly, rings uh, collect dust and sit in trophy cases. He said the only two things that will stay with you for the rest of your life from these four years is who you become and who you impact. And that really stuck with me. So when you're talking about investing in uh, through sport in something that lasts, um, I am about as competitive and driven as you're going to find. Um, but it's not going to last. It doesn't mean the quest for excellence or the, the desire that you might run your race that you might win is not important. It is, but it, it isn't the most important. And on my fourth day on the job at UCLA, and you may have heard me tell this story before, but it was just so formative to your question, is um, a John Vallely. Uh, walked into my office and I didn't know who John Valley was, but he was one of coach Wooden's alums, but I had never met him before. And he just walks in, he goes, well, I'm the dribble for the cure guy. Um, you guys do a fundraising uh, with me. And he sat across from me and he just barely introduced himself. And he goes, I've been married 38 years because of what coach Wooden taught me. I've started three successful businesses because of what coach Wooden taught me. I've conquered cancer three times because of the strength Coach Wooden gave me, and then he really got me. He said, I survived the death of my 12-year-old daughter because of the way Coach Wooden loved me. And I was just sitting there with my mouth open, and he pretty much says, welcome to the UCLA family, welcome home, and I'll see you at Dribble for the Cure, and he leaves. And I'm just like dumbfounded. I run over to my computer to look him up, and he doesn't even mention that he was a starting guard on two of Coach Wooden's national championship teams and he played seven years in the NBA because it pales in comparison to the man he became. And I just thought, that's it, right? That's what Coach Wooden was talking about, that don't coach him for the championships. Coach him for them to be prepared for when the ball goes flat. And so that became our mission, um, to be an elite basketball program that teaches mentors and equips young women for life beyond UCLA. I mean, I hang out with a lot of UCLA alums all the time and a lot of them have won championships and none of them talk about them when you're with them, but they all talk about who they became and who they impacted. I want to talk about who you became. Um, so you were a freshman at UC, uh, UC Santa Barbara. Actually, I played mm -hmm. Michael Jordan one-on-one -on, -one on that court at his camp when I was 15. <laughs> I'm just going to drop that in there. Wow. I lost. I lost. That's flight school? Yes. Yes, I mm -hmm. lost. But I that's thought okay. I knew everything about you. You're holding that one back. Yeah. Wow, yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a zinger. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, um, but you tore your Achilles, and um, there was a quote that you said, sometimes when you're a real doer, God lets you um, get to the end of the road where, you only choice, where your only choice is to let go and let him catch you. Mm. Where did that, how did that impact you and who you became? Oh man, on so many levels. Um, you know, it's interesting. Like I, I can see the piece of paper that, um, uh, her name was Nancy Canapa who wrote me this, that, that note, um, when I was a freshman in college. Um, and you know, I think that I knew how to do a lot of things, do a lot of things right. And like you come up with a plan and you go and do it. And, and all of a sudden my plans weren't going to work. And so, um, you know, I think that, um, in terms of who I became, I think it's a coaching, I'm not sure I would have been a coach or become a coach if I hadn't had that experience of literally, and I had a wonderful college coach. And I remember when I got out of surgery, a couple days later, I was, I got to the gym, I was in a wheelchair and um, and I was wheeled in, and most people would have cast their player aside and talked to him after the game, but 
Mark French, my head coach, wheeled me right next to him and sat me next to him in that game. And I think about now the foreshadowing of that and, and how he poured into me. And I didn't know it was going to be to become a coach, but first it was going to be to see the game through different lens. And, you know, so I think it just really, um, I think it made me, I mean, to be honest with you, basketball was my God at that point. I wouldn't have admitted that, but it formed my identity. It, um, you know, it drove, drove everything I did. I was very performance driven. And all of a sudden I was sort of forced to go, okay, really, what am I? Like strip away, um, you know, what I have accomplished or not accomplished or performed or not performed. Like, who do I really want to be on the inside? And I think that started a more internal journey for me that I wanted my outside life to really match with my inside life. And I wanted my identity to be formed around the correct things. And I'm still a work in progress. I'm still becoming, I, I don't think that um, I'll ever achieve that in totality, but I think that really started a different kind of journey for me and uh, really thankful that I had to wrestle like that. Yeah. I mean, so you're so self-aware and so humble. I think that's a consistency we've seen at the underdog podcast. And I think that was something, obviously the references of Tim Kite, as we mentioned earlier, and Mick Cronin definitely uh, told us that as well. And speaking of Tim Kite, I love your approach to, um, you know, the mental aspect. I can mm -hmm. hear like the totality and I've, you know, followed your, your program. I followed you online and just your commitment to mental health and really just being a learning leader, like you talked about, being self-aware and this always trying to be better and learning more. And I've heard you talk about Trevor Mowat. I, I read that book. It takes what it takes. I've heard you, you know, your engagement with Focus 3 and other things in Focus 3 that don't know is, is a, uh, a leadership um, ability that we're actually doing here as well with a leadership language and different techniques. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, living your life and discipline versus default and some of those mechanisms that maybe someone that's listening, they're probably tired of me and Calvin talking about the E plus R equals O. <laughs> Can they hear from Coach Close about the mental aspect of how important it is, whether who's listening to us right now, because hopefully that person maybe is going through adversity. How can we help them out of that to have success in their life by using some maybe some mechanisms that we call knowledge nuggets that they could take away? Well, I think, you know, um, the reality is, is that we all have, you know, uh, discipline over default choices every day, right? You know, I never have to wake up in the morning and go, hey, Corey, remember to, re to think about you. Like we do that. I do that automatically. I'll be selfish automatically. But if I want to be live a disciplined, purposeful, selfless life, now you're talking about having to invest in the tools of discipline. And, you know, Focus 3 has been so instrumental, uh, both Tim and Brian Kite. Um, in terms of how um, I think I, I knew that it was so important, but I didn't have language for it. And I sure didn't have a curriculum to how to teach it. And so I would really encourage anybody. Um, I think it's just such a life thing, right? I mean, you talk about um, it's one of the I remember the first time I ever talked to Tim. Um, he said he said to me, he goes, you know, the reality is what we want to do. We can't control our ease. But what we want to do for young people is that we want to strengthen their R greater than any E they'll ever have to face. And, you know, and I think about how he's having to live that out right now in his own battle. And, you know, all of a sudden all that training comes really becomes very real for Tim. And, um, you know, and I think about that in one of the silver linings of COVID, honestly, is that um, we were one of the last programs in all of Division One to be able to reconvene and, and start to train again. 
We didn't do anything from March 13th until September 21st. And, you know, and so all of a sudden in that time frame, I was like, okay, I may not be able to train physically the way I would want to get our team ready, but we can train mentally. And I I called um, Tim and I called Brian Kite. I called Trevor. um, I called Joshua Medcalf. They've been the four biggest mentors for me in terms of how I go about things. I said, okay, I want to be the best in the country at teaching the mental side of the game as well as the mental health side and, and making great relational choices. And they helped me form like a 12-week curriculum of how we were going to attack this. And it was interesting when we went up to Oregon on, I think it was January 3rd, and we won at Oregon. It was in the locker room right after the game, our players started like recounting all the ways they use neutral thinking in that game. All the ways they were like used the strengthening their R and their response. And this was right after the game. They didn't know it, but our video intern was recording them. And so I have it to hold over their head anytime they fight me on mental conditioning. But, um, you know, I think that in life in general, this is such a life skill. It doesn't matter if you're trying to lead your family in discipline and principle and not out of default, whether you're leading a business, whether you want to be really good in your organization or in your team. Um, I just think it's such an important life tool. And so if there was a, any gift I could give to our players going into life and being prepared for that, it was, it's to learn. I think a lot of it is you use the uh, phrase self-awareness. It's, you know, you have to be aware when you're not in, in a good neutral place, right? And then you got to have a strong refocus routine so that you can respond quickly and purposefully. And, you know, those steps that Tim Kite talks about, it's like pause, gain clarity, ask yourself, what does this situation require of me? And literally in timeouts, our players will be doing that. And I, it makes me so happy, not just for the game, but because that will be a habit that they use for the rest of their lives. Yeah. It's so, it's so big. And just anyone that's struggling, you know, reach out. I mean, just like coach close did right there. I know we're doing, we actually have them coming in next week uh, to, cause I thought I've been almost 12 years in the business and creating a culture is like, like you said, we need to have a, a leadership language. Right. And you just identified that. And now, because just like we want to in our meetings at work, just like you had in your locker room at Oregon to talk about neutral thinking, to talk about our, our factor when uh, adversity hit and we had the biggest E in your game or in us, we had something happen in our business world today. How did we respond? You know, did we Mm -hmm. press pause, get our mind right, you know, gain clarity and approach that. So I think there's so much that I've learned and then how much, sports can translate to business and business to, I heard you talking about small businesses. I'll tell you what, the, the thing I loved coach close listening to your content, there's so much, but the one thing I was like, she understands in the midst of COVID, she was talking about small businesses pivoting and using different things. I'm sitting there thinking that was some of the most knowledge nuggets. I appreciated running a small to mid-sized business that we are. Uh, you're sitting there talking about pivoting and using the mental capacity and looking at how to use things in a positive light and you just have a natural gift, uh, but you're also engaging with that. Right. And I think that's what someone can take away, I guess, in my long tangent there, Mr. Blackman, was that <laughs> if you, you go, if yeah, thanks, uh, usually it cuts me off. Um, but you engage with that, right? And that's like, she's a top five program in the country. Hopefully you win the national championship. We're rooting for you. Um, but she look at she's focusing on the overall. They, they Think about that. They did not practice for right. a long, long time. <laughs> and they're out there winning ball games. So uh, well, look, congrats to you. Real quick, I'm sorry to, just to build on that. One thing is I think it's just so important for people to realize that 
there are those tools. And I think we are mm-hmm. so good at saying, well, we just need better leadership or, right. uh, oh my gosh, you know, we just need to be mentally tougher, you know, or whatever the case might be. And then I'll say, okay, well, I'll, whether it be your business or whether it be your families or what, if I ask people, okay, what percentage of your business health is based on culture and, and how you think? Almost everyone will say 70, 80, 90%. And then I'll say, okay, um, when the last time you had a staff meeting or the last time you had practice or you did a workout, how much of that workout was um, intentionally involving culture or mental conditioning? And most people will say, uh, 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 you know, zero or 10% or at best. And I think it's not because of a lack of desire or need, but more that they have no idea how. And so I think it's just like any other skill, whether in my arena, that it's like, it's like your jump shot or your defense, uh, or in business, it's just like, you know, how you need to be operate in terms of your profit margins or the, your goals. The, these are tools and skills that lead to health and culture and performance that um, I just think uh, people overlook and because they don't know how, not because they don't think it's important. And there are um, things out there to help. And I know they've been helpful to me. Yeah. And he, he kind of left us speechless. If you remember Calvin, he goes, are you guys using this in your personal life? And we looked at each other and we're like, Nope, mm, probably not to the degree we should. So Tim kite yeah. was like, Hey guys, you know, why are you valuing your, your business more than personal? And that was a great challenge as well. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I don't know if he challenged you the same way, but you oh, know, absolutely. that, that mm-hmm. was, can you touch, and sorry, I love oh, leadership ahead. language. I know that's why I'm just, letting you roll. Just I love saturating it. on this. <laughs> People don't really understand. I read the book, uh, but neutral thinking, the concept, can you talk about in life, how neutral thinking can assist you in then really maybe in women's basketball or in sport? Well, I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's very similar to the R factor, right? Is into what we had just talked about. What does this situation require of me? It's taking the emotion out, it's taking the feeling out, and it's behavioral-based thinking. So, you know, uh, obviously Trevor Moad, who's the author of It Takes What It Takes, he's uh, Russell Wilson's uh, mental conditioning coach, and he uses the example that when they were down in the NFC Championship game, you know, a couple few years ago, and, and you know, he didn't need to run up and down the sidelines and be like, rah, rah, like they were stinking up the field, like, you know, he that interceptions, they were missing assignments. I mean, all kinds of different things. What he needed is to get focused on neutral, not negative to positive, but to go, okay, what are our next right behavioral steps? It's behavioral based thinking that's taking the emotion out and making the next right behavioral step. And so that's the simplest uh, version um, of it that way. But I think the biggest thing that he talks about is that you know, negativity in your own mind. I mean, you're your own most powerful coach. You talk about using it in your personal life, you know, whether it's personal or professional, what you tell yourself, he talks about um, building an ad campaign for yourself and, and just really filling your mind with the right things. I mean, if you say it a negative thing out loud, it's four to five times more um, than what it is, but a negative thought is 10 times more powerful than a positive thought. And so we don't try to go from negative to like this rah-rah optimism. We try to go from negative to neutral so that we can make an informed, uh, principled-centered decision of what our next right behavioral step needs to be. Love it. Drop the mic. Yeah. The the (laughs) As I say, the best is ahead right there, getting in the neutral, staying in the neutral. And that's hard to do, right? I mean, as we transition – through the podcast as we're coming to, you know, more towards the close here, but is, is to stay in neutral. I mean, who, who isn't right. You're probably, 
you know, uh, I on struggle the, with it every day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I even, we talked to coach Meyer of like trying to not get too high and low with calls. I'm sure like with you, you get called, your guy gets called for a charge and it should have been a block. And, you know, can you get off kilter and, and lose your sense of direction and strategy as a leader? And I've just been trying to think through that through my maturation process of staying in neutral uh, and using, you know, positive thinking as well. Right. And, and different things well, like that. Well, that's something else I, I've always, and, and maybe Trevor doesn't like it as much, but I always say that him and Tim have so much in common because, um, you know, right there, what you just said is so important. None of us are going to stay in neutral. We, we all are going to lose it sometimes. It, it's going to be the awareness of, okay, I'm not in neutral and how quickly can I respond, right? It's, it's getting to that um, response uh, language as quickly as you can. And I'll be honest with you, that's been a real maturation process for me. I made a lot of mistakes with referees and getting off kilter with that. So I really relate to that example. Um, but I think it is so important and it's so important for my, the modeling for my players, right? Yep. Um, but I don't, I, what I love is we do two things is um, I never, I, our players get three timeouts to practice. They can call their own timeout um, because it's part of them learning. Okay. We need one awareness, right? We're going to do this together. We're going to take leadership ourselves and we're going to respond. We're going to pause, gain clarity and figure out how we need to respond. And I think that's been a really good tool and it's put more ownership on them. Um, and the second thing that, so my point is that you, None of us, we've never been through a meeting where we have focused 100% of the time. Not me, not you, not mm-hmm. our players. So I don't yell, and Tim's taught me this, I don't yell, focus. I, I talk about refocus. You know, what does it look like to refocus? And the other thing that he's taught me to do and that I try, we do every single practice um, to start out, we do four minutes of mind, mindset time. That I do not believe that you just show up. It's, it's discipline, starting our practice discipline over default, right? That we are going to set our minds on what we want to see. And we don't believe, it's not mind hope, it's not mind maybe, it's mind set. So we spend four minutes on setting our minds to start out every single practice. And so and my hope is I try to do that in the mornings in my own day and then do it again with the team with our own practice. But I just think that's so important in terms of uh, we all are going to forget. You know, uh, I always say it's not about never forgetting. It's about remember what you forgot, disciplining yourself to remember. And so that's something that we've built into our practices that our players come back later and go, I still try to set my mind every day because I know it's not going to happen automatically. So I've got to be intentional to, to reset my mind throughout the day and to start my day. So that's been helpful to me. Yeah, and, and speaking of your players, one thing I uh, want to touch upon once again. Sorry to keep hijacking. Listen, this. I hey, I'm, I'm, this is I'm a selfish this all in. Yeah. So the um, <laughs> the question box, I found this really interesting too. So I thought, you know, spending one on one time says, you know, a lot of our folks once again potentially are coming from the business world, trying to create as a leader an open and transparent platform. You have an ability as someone that's a player on your team to have you know one on one time or question box. Can you? maybe a tangible knowledge nugget that someone could take away once again, explain what that is. Well, you know, it's interesting. I got that from a really great leadership podcast with uh, Andy Stanley. He talks about um, don't be afraid to do for one, what you wish you could do for many. So just because you can't do it for everyone doesn't mean it's not the right thing for one. 
And, you know, and, and so all of our, um, play, all of our coaches have three to four players that they meet with one-on-one every single week. And then, uh, we actually, it's a great reminder because we haven't been in our offices this year. We haven't been doing the question box to the same thing because of COVID. Um, but, um, they could come in and ask any question. So, um, any question or, um, and anything. And then we would grab questions out either as a team. Um, or it could be a question that maybe they didn't want in front of the group, but they always had the freedom to ask. And so um, I think it's one-on, just the, the biggest thing is um, one-on-one relationship time is just you can't substitute anything for it, right? And um, I grew up uh, in, my parents were both involved in an organization called uh, Young Life. And one of their biggest things was earn the right to be heard. Don't just assume someone's going to listen to you, earn the right to be heard. And, and so I think that's what that one-on-one time is, is listen more than you speak and ask more questions than you give answers. And eventually, um, you got to listen to a hundred mundane things to earn enough trust to be um, ready to handle the one important thing. And a kid's going to test you for a long time to see if you're trustworthy. And my mom used to tell me that all the time. Like, I used to listen to all your dumb hundred questions <laughs> so that I, you, I could build enough trust with you that you'd come to me with the one big thing. And so I really try to think about that with our players is that if I can share a hundred mundane moments, maybe I'll have enough trust built up that they'll come when they really need the big moment. Man. Boom. I mean, I'm just telling you special. She is mm-hmm. special. I mean, goodness gracious. I love it. Thank you so much for there. And uh, how about we start transitioning each podcast coach close. We end with uh, a hot seat and Mr. Blackman has some here for you. So you, okay. I don't think they're too hot though. So, I think okay. I think he took it easy, but we'll see. We'll, we'll go ahead, fire away, Mr. Blackman. Um, so the, they're sometimes they're funny, sometimes they're serious. These are probably a little bit more <laughs> on the serious side. Um, okay. Well, the first couple. So, being a white female coach in a predominantly you know black sport or, or diverse sport, um, in coaching young black women, you know what have you learned or what impact has that had on you personally? Well, we—that's a whole another podcast. <laughs> um, but, I know, right? Uh, that is uh, that has been probably one of the biggest um, sort of my learning moments these this last nine months, and I am so grateful to have such an unbelievable staff, but also unbelievable women that I get a chance to coach that have really taught me more than I've taught them. Um, you know, I think it's um, ah, being able to sit on the, in the uncomfortable and to just go, hey, what I went to all of my players when George Floyd um, happened and said, you know what. Um, what do you need from me as a leader? What, what is it? What would it look like to serve you best and to lead you best? So how can I love and lead you well? And um, the, the answers that they gave and the challenges that they had. And I believe me, and I have not gotten it right. One of our players, um, I call it the tunnel of chaos. We, we entered in, she was angry with me. I did not handle some things well. And we had to really work through those things to really, really build back trust. But I think it's being like, um, you know, I sort of don't know what I don't know, but I got to admit that, right? I got to admit that, you know, I'm never going to understand to the depth um, that you may, what you've experienced in life, but I can sure try to be proactive in my education of myself, to be a good listener, to have a soft heart, um, you know, but I mean, I could go on and on about that, but it has been uh, really life changing for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I really, I think that um, I want to be on a quest the rest of my life to understand that as a, at a deeper level. I like it. <clears throat> Love it. 
Uh, you mean to keep going? Yes, since, this is all you. Since you, ha- since you hosted the podcast, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I was just excited. Sorry, it happens to us. Um, Proverbs channel challenge. Uh, I heard that was on your. I was, I was trying to actually find it um, on your Twitter. Can you talk a little bit about what that is? Because I'm interested. I actually downloaded a Proverbs app before our, before this this conversation because I was like. <laughs> I, I wanted to learn more about Proverbs and start listening because I know there's such a great message that comes from Proverbs. But what is the Proverbs yeah. challenge? And it wasn't it Kyle Corver's father? It was Kyle Corver's uncle. Uncle, okay. So Ken Corver, um, and Ken, uh, uh, Kyle Corver's cousin, Carrie, played for us. Wow. And actually when it, she played for us, uh, they did, ESPN did a thing where they uh, shot, they were, uh, filmed them shooting, and Kyle shot and Carrie shot like exactly the same. Uh, unbelievable. Um, but uh, Kyle Corver's uncle, Ken, who's a pastor here in Paramount, Compton area, um, he did it with his church and challenged me. As it, it's just 31 days. Um, there's 31 Proverbs in the book of Proverbs in the Bible, and you read one, um, you write one of the verses um, from that proverb that day, and then you share w- one of the verses with someone else. So you read the proverb. You write down one of the verses for your own benefit, and then you share one of the verses, and you do that for 31 days. And uh, it was just really, it was really practical. It was very doable, um, and it was a, a really cool way to engage and then to share. Yeah, and nice. most of our uh, podcasts, Coach. Next question I have is, you know, are usually timeless, but obviously today being, you know, the um, I want to say anniversary, but the day that you know Kobe mm-hmm. and, and and Gigi passed away. Um, you know, I think it, we would be reminisced not to, and I know the impact that Kobe had on all of us, but especially my partner in crime here. Um, and so I know today is a difficult for all of us, right? Just the loss there. But how has being in Los Angeles and being in basketball, has that, you know, impacted you? And what are maybe some of the opportunities that maybe you in, you know, had a, had interaction with Kobe and, and, yeah. and his daughter? So anything there? Well, I mean, he came to several of our games, and uh, actually one of my players on the team actually lived in his neighborhood in Orange County. Uh, Allie Rosenblum is now my GA. And uh, he, he just was um, – I didn't have a really deep personal relationship with him, but I was very influenced by him, by mm-hmm. his work ethic, by his attention to detail. Um, we've probably shared in terms of our mental training and all that. We've shared so many videos from Kobe over the last uh, several years um, – so he just was very influential, but you know, uh, for the women's game to have someone of his stature that so sacrificially, so genuinely believed in women's sports, and not only obviously probably stemming from his own daughter and wanting to have her opportunities be better than maybe the generation before, but he did that for so many, and I think he gave all of us in coaching that you know still only four percent of ESPN's coverage of sports is on women, 4% to this day. Um, you know, still, you know, we beat Stanford the other day, and I don't want to – I'm usually just really thankful for all this, but we beat Stanford on the road. The next morning in the L.A. Times, there's about five sentences, you know, and, um, and I think what Kobe did was like, no, what, these women, he honored the quest for excellence and he honored um, the, the women that were trying to master their craft like he did. And, uh, and that was just really, uh, that brought a lot of hope and it really grew our sport. And I just was so thankful for his investment and his sacrifice uh, and his example. 
Yeah. yeah. Amen what, to that. He would have done so sure. much more, too. So. Uh, Absolutely. All right. So the last one, unless you have another one. Nope. Go ahead. Fire away. Um, so we ask this at the end of every episode. Before, okay. you, before you answer, um, you, have to be able, you have to be willing to help us make this happen. So okay. <laughs> everyone <laughs> makes that face. Who is one? <laughs> who is one person we should have as a guest on the Underdog Podcast? And before you answer, again, you have to be willing to help us make it come. Make it happen. To, yes. Mm. Oh man! And I have a person in mind too, but okay, well, ask away. Who's your person? <laughs> I don't even know. He's a UCLA get... alum. Oh, I know. I have a feeling now. Who? Who is it? You're probably going to think Russell, Russell Westbrook. No, 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 no. Matt Barnes. Oh, Matt Barnes. You know, I've just gotten to know him recently. He's been um, – hmm. I've had about seven or so UCLA alums um, that have been helping push our message out and help our players build our brand. And Matt Barnes, uh, Earl Watson, asked him to get on board and help us with this. Oh, and fantastic. he's been awesome. And so I'm just now getting – but I do think I could help you. That would so be, I, I'll do that. Um, I will help you with Matt Barnes and, and try to reach out to him. He's a fascinating guy. Um, you know, I think in terms of the only other one I um, – I'm trying to just think of oh, – you know who's, who's really good and who's amazing is two people come to mind. Joni Taylor, who's the head coach at the University of Georgia, or Jackie um, uh, Carsons at University of Furman. And they are strong, inspirational. They've been very much a, a source of wise counsel for me. I'll say, okay, help, be, help me see my blind spots here. You're both strong black women who are not only making a difference on the hardwood, but you're making a difference in the lives and culture of the people around you. And help me see the blind spots I can't see. And I just called them both the other day, and I got the phone going, man, they're wise. And I'm so lucky to be their friend. So – I would be happy to help you make that happen, but they are spectacular. That would yeah. be yeah, we would love to awesome. How do um we would love for our, our audience to follow you on Twitter. Can you give any handles yeah. of how to follow you yeah, and uh, your just program? Corey Close. So uh Corey C O R I and Close C L O S C and uh would love the chance just to interact and uh you know it's Lewis Howe said I don't really care how many followers, I just care how many people I can impact. So if I could serve just one person through that front great so that's what i want to do so it would be my honor if people would uh come alongside and they won't be disappointed you've helped me i love following you coach i'm telling you it is great must yep. see uh must see and we'll tell uh, we had jay billis on here we gotta say hey jay help, help yeah. the women throw some more than four percent let's go, let's go man jay. Yeah. i agree come on, jay. <laughs> yes Let, yeah well thank, <laughs> thank you coach you Close. Really appreciate nice it being with you thank you for what you're doing and hopefully we'll get to meet in person sometime soon Sounds Bye -bye good. Now. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Appreciate yeah. it.